Well, hello and welcome to the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and I really hope you enjoyed the new opening credits. <laughs> Big round of applause for Matt Smith. Come on, come on, move on. Move on, move on. <laughs> Whatever. So, it's my job. I, That's what I'm I supposed know. to do. You're too good at this stuff, Matt. <laughs> so welcome to episode number 278 of the show. And uh, we are back again tonight to, uh, to bring you more aviation news. So Matt, how are you this week? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. It's been a busy old week in the old world of driving. It's just been a bit of a... It's been one of those is sort of a, reaching the end of what I call silly season. No. So it's... Mm. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the last time I was actually in the yard, you know, with not much to do, it has to be said. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you're, glad you're busy. Glad yeah, yeah, you're busy. yeah, very much so. And uh, uh, apologies this week uh, as Nev can't join us. Uh, he's uh, off this week. He's uh, looking after poorly. Poorly misses Nev, I think, oh, isn't he? Dear, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So good. Good. Well, well wishes to uh, to uh, Mrs. Nev. Yes. And, indeed. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hot toddies all round. I think. Yeah. Uh, or, or is it just that, in fact, that him and Armando have had another disagreement, and uh, <laughs> therefore <laughs> it's just like, and the the, oh, the embargo oh, is back in I place. Know. Yeah. But don't panic, because <laughs> Armando's here as always this week. So welcome, Armando. How are you? Hey, everybody. Uh, I am super happy to be back this week, especially because it is Oshkosh week. Yeah. So we have our packing lists ready. We haven't started packing. We're still trying to figure out what to do. But I have some big news. We've lined up some great interviews where oh. we're going to be there. Can you tell so, us or is it all um, secret? No. So I'll go ahead and throw it out there. The um, So we were, I booked an interview with Ms. Amanda Simpson, who is the Vice President of Research and Technology for Airbus Americas. Ooh. Um, so that should be a great interview. And they, they, you know, they asked me, what do you want to talk about? I was like, all things Airbus, of course. How long can I go? <laughs> um, Fantastic. And in addition to that, we uh, have an a, uh, interview with Captain Tammy Jo Schultz. If you guys remember, she was the captain on South, Southwest yeah. Airlines 1380 yeah. who had the uncontained engine failure and wow. a uh, passenger lost their life on that. So she's also, she's going to talk to us about that as well as her uh, Navy career. She's a very accomplished Navy pilot. Um, also, separate from Oshkosh, we have an interview with uh, pilot and instructor Susan Van Fleet who runs a seaplane training flight school. Uh, she's been flying for a long time um, in a bunch of quirky airplanes. And then I have also uh, confirmed uh, Captain uh, Jody Perkins, who is a captain for Acme Airlines um, on the Airbus 220. So we'll be recording that interview. And in wow. addition to all that, we'll be playing out the uh, George Catalano Bad Dingo Air Racing number 56 at the Reno Air Races, the first of probably three segments cool. uh, later on on the show. Wow. wow. You, you, you've, <laughs> you've had a busy time of it, haven't you? <laughs> Good heavens. Oh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got to take my hat off. Yeah, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm Put it back sweating. on. Your hair's in a terrible oh, mess. You I know. So I need a haircut. Yeah. I know what really do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that yeah. sounds absolutely awesome armando yeah. you are a legend yeah. that is, uh, uh, actually megan's just said in the chat room here i guess i know what i'll be doing in oshkos anyone have any tips on good on being a good camera person <laughs> any any garden centers near oshkosh or, um, yeah that might be the way forward no, yeah, yeah possibly yeah, yeah. I, i'd stay in the airbnb <laughs> no, if i were you <laughs> so we you have know, and and like uh 
like everything else in our life, I'm just going to be in front of the camera and she's going to be the director. Quite right, Hurrah. absolutely. And that is good advice for happy married life. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so we, uh, we have got a guest uh, joining us on the show who we're going to chat to later on, uh, Colin Hitchens, who uh, is uh, from Biggin Hill. He's... Whoa, whoa, Masha just says, I hear portrait mode is all the rage. Oh, Please don't mode, do yeah. that. No, no. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you I in know. your prime there. Do well carry done. on. <laughs> yeah, so Colin is uh, going to, we're going to chat to Colin yes. later on the show about mm. uh, the Biggin Hill Festival of Flight and what goes on there and all the ins and outs of the runnings of the airport. So we're mm. looking forward to that coming up later as well. As Asmando said, the first uh, piece from him as well, um, chatting about the Reno Air Races. So looking forward mm. to that. Very so uh, quick yeah. uh, date and time check and a welcome to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. All uh, the usual uh, family members in there this evening. We've got Jonathan Warner, who's just uh, come back from his uh, uh, day at Ria. He's took about four and a half million photos over the last uh, day. <laughs> I bet he's slightly sunburnt as well. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and uh, we've got Neil Lamborn. We've got Pilot Pips in the chat room. Jenny in Rome. We've got Graham Haley, so he's looking Dr. after Steph, us. Yeah. Dr. Steph's in the chat room. Richard Adams is in the chat room. Uh, just scrolling up here, just in case. Chris Griggs, hello to you. Masha, um, Milo was also, also popped in earlier as well. She said a quick hello. Mm. Um, scrolling up, I'm like missing one. Masha, no, I don't think I've missed Grant one. Oh, Auntie yeah. Liz, hello, yeah, Auntie, Auntie Liz. Liz yeah. And yeah, oh, and obviously um, we've got uh, Armando's boss in the chat room as uh, well, yes, keeping yes, the, an eye on what he's thing. doing. Exactly. Anyway, should we uh, should we do some aviation? Yeah, news? we're going to yeah. uh, start the show then, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if you're ready, Matt, I am. Yeah, and if you're ready, Armando. Uh, he, well, he, he's on mute. Ready? Yeah, he was on mute again. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> So, kicking off this week's first news story on the skynews.com website. Oh dear, someone's going to have an empty bank account very soon because Jet2.com orders abusive passenger to pay £85,000 after Royal Air Force jets escort the plane back to the UK. So, an extremely disruptive passenger has been ordered to pay £85,000 by a UK airline after two Royal Air Force Typhoon fighter jets had to escort the aircraft back to Stansted. British low-cost airline Jet2.com said uh, Chloe Haynes had to be restrained by passengers and crew after she tried to open the doors of the Turkey-bound aircraft during the flight. Miss Haynes, 25, is also banned from Jet2.com for life after she displayed in a catalogue of aggressive, abusive and dangerous behaviour on the aircraft, which included attempting to open the aircraft doors during the flight, Jet2 said in a statement. In a, their rush to escort the aircraft, the Royal Air Force fighter jets created a sonic boom, which could be heard for miles around, the airline also added. When the aircraft arrived back in the UK, the police boarded the aircraft, arrested Miss Haynes on suspicion of assault and endangering an aircraft. Uh, Steve Heapy, chief executive of Jet2.com, said Jet2 Holidays 
and uh, said that Mrs. Haynes' behaviour was one of the most serious cases of disruptive passenger behaviour that they have ever experienced at the airline. She must now face up to the consequences of her actions and we will vigorously pursue to recover the costs that we incurred as a result of the divert, as well which we do with all passengers. As a family friend or family friendly airline, we take an absolutely zero tolerance approach to disruptive behaviour and we hope that this sobering incident with its very serious consequences provide a stark warning to others who think that they can behave in this fashion. Actually, you were reading that uh, when I when, when I uh, woke up this morning, my alarm went and uh, I opened my phone and you get quite often get these top stories. What was rather interesting is on the Evening Standard, um, which is a, a free newspaper here in, in London, uh, there was the headline that said, Couple demand compensation for helping restrain abusive Jet 2 passenger <laughs> after she's fined 85k. So the people that were helping yeah. to restrain Can get paid, please? have now decided oh that they goodness. want to get some get get a cut. If you like, my, my view on this story. My view on this story is: yeah. Will they get that money? Um, well. I mean, at the end of the day, she hasn't got that kind of money. Exactly. No, the short answer is no. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Armando, how do you feel about the, 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 the couples uh, involved in this story actually uh, uh, going after some of that money themselves? Uh, I'm not sure I feel very positive about that. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you would think it'd be enough that you helped restrain a passenger yeah. that could have potentially put 200 people in danger yeah. um, seeking compensation for that. I don't know. I guess I wouldn't do it. I'm not in their shoes. Um, no, I, I but guess... But, you, you know, as far as this... Yeah, I, Sorry, I, go ahead. I don't know. I, I guess it's the, the, the thing is, is, I suppose, they're sort of... They're going for that money, I suppose, and they're saying, well, we helped you with that incident. But then, of course, what they're not realising is a lot of that is the costs involved in diversions and the fuel and the compensating of the other passengers for being delayed and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it, really? It's... Uh, well, yeah. they'll know it when they get the bill through. Well, yeah, this is true. Yeah, sure. but I mean, we 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 cover these stories week in week out, don't we? This this is it's getting a bit beyond a joke, isn't it? Why can't people just behave themselves when they're in the air? Uh, Auntie Liz says in the chat room that she believes the woman in the story uh, works in a coffee shop. What chance does she have of paying eighty five thousand? Well, yes, exactly. Yes, this is it. I mean, or, you know, it'll be you know ten pound a week and, until a week yeah. past her death. <laughs> it? You know, it's it's going to be one of those, isn't it? Yes, this is on the independent.co.uk website, and the headline is Ryanair renames Boeing 737 MAX planes on order. So Ryanair, which has more than 200 Boeing 737 MAX jets uh, on order, appears to have renamed the plane the 737-8200. Europe's biggest budget airline has not yet operated the aircraft, which has been grounded worldwide after two fatal crashes. But a number of aircraft have been built for the carrier and others are under construction. Pictures taken at the Boeing factory at Renton near Seattle show a new 737 aircraft in Ryanair colours with the word MAX replaced by the number 8200. Ryanair has ordered a unique design of Boeing 737 MAX uh, with additional seats and an extra emergency exit. It can hold 197 passengers, 8 more than the standard 189 in its existing fleet of 737-800 aircraft, the only type the airline currently flies. The photographer Chris Edwards tweeted, looks like Ryanair is dropping the MAX title from its new 737 MAX 200 aircraft. Instead of 737 MAX, on the nose, the fifth aircraft rolled out of the paint shop wearing 737-8200 in its place. Uh, 7629 uh, Echo India 
Hotel Alpha Yankee 737-8200 has been painted and wears the new model designation on the nose. Ryanair had originally intended to start flying the aircraft from Stansted in May. The first fatal accident involving the Boeing 737 MAX was a Lion Air jet. Anyway, blah, 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 you get you get the, uh, the, the the issue here. Do, I mean, do, I had, do you I think a, this is? I had the feeling this was going to happen. Do you, you know, think? I, do you think this is going to feel fool everyone though? It's not going to fool anyone because we all, even non av geeks, would know what the aircraft is. But mm. I, you know, I had a feeling that this might happen. Ryanair has obviously been the first, I think, a first airline to to do this name change. Mm. Um, but you know, it, it, at the end of the day, well, it, is, it is a max. What what do you think, Armando? Yeah. I, you know, most people are not going to know. I, I've been on 737-800s with the wingtips that go up and the wingtips that go down. And I said, well, is that a max? Because um, it really, unless you know what you're looking for, you're not going to know the difference. And um, I think you, when I read the story, I was thinking about the 13th floor thing. <laughs> how the number yeah. 13 is on yeah. about 85% of buildings don't have a 13th floor. Just for no reason other than it's an unlucky number. So yeah. if they rebrand the, the entire aircraft, uh, the MAX or the 737-8200, then, you know, it's probably a step in putting that, that stigma behind them. Uh, yeah, I, I used to work in a hotel. But, uh, we didn't have a We had a rooms 10, 11, and 12, and then a room 14. We didn't have a room 13 for that, for that very same mm, reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the, the Max name will probably go by the wayside. Yeah. Well, for those of you in the chat room who are watching the live show, just uh, wondering what the, the picture is behind us. We didn't say at the top of the show. Oh, but that, the, uh, that is a cutaway section of a BAE-146 uh, showing the uh, luggage hold underneath the passenger floor. So, uh, yeah, for those of you wondering what that one is behind Indeed. me and Right, Matt. so no Nev this week. So, so uh, Armando, Armando, good luck. BA story. <laughs> And Armando's frozen. Are you are you there, Armando? Yeah, this this internet connection is not very stable. Oh, Matt, we're just gonna give you a run for your money today. Yes, yes. I mean, once once you've started editing, I mean, it's just it's we may as well go for broke this week, mightn't we? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Okay, is it sta stabilized a bit now? Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, okay. So, um, do, do the intro again, please. So, the next oh, story, as Nev uh, is not with us this week, is obviously a BA story, but uh, Armando, this one's uh, going to be for you. Well, I'm extremely honoured to be filling in for Nev. Uh, it is from One Mile at a Time, and it has to do with the first plane featuring the Club Suites. Uh, British Airways A350-1000, which is expected to join the fleet next week. So that plane will initially fly between London and Madrid to familiarize crews with the plane, though the airline has already scheduled long-haul flights with the plane uh, to Toronto, Dubai, Tel Aviv, and Bangalore. Uh, it's possible thanks to the airline taking delivery of four of these airplanes over the coming months. Brit British Airways will retrofit their 777s and their 787s with these club suites, and we've known that before the end of 2019, the airline plans on having two 777s with the new cabins. That uh, first plane is now on the schedule. So if you've got the money and you've got the uh, the will, it is British Airways 177 from London to New York, departing at 1 p.m. 
and British Airways 174 from New York back to London at 7.50 p.m. Um, you'll take a look at the seat maps and you'll see those, uh, those club suites are highlighted there. Um, in response, Virgin Atlantic is introducing their new upper class seats to New York uh, September 10th of 2019, which also look beautiful um, in typical Virgin uh, fashion, quite literally, um, very colorful and looks amazing. So let's see, it's expected that British Airways will also schedule their second 777 with the new seats for the new new route. And by the end of the year, you'll see two flights a day with these seat maps. I have so, to say, there you go. my, my, been talking my about favorite. This. It looks gorgeous. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, between the two, I have to say the BA, the BA seat, the seat does look a lot better. It, it just yeah. looks more, yeah. I don't know, it just looks like really nice and comfortable. And yeah. also, do you notice I'm under? very appropriate. Do you know? Do you notice on that picture, Armando, the um, the seat belt on that BA seat? Oh yeah, look at that! It's like a, it's like very much like a car seat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, rather than the lap belt. Yeah, you, you look. If you look at the picture, oh, okay. um, which yeah. Matt, I think Matt did put up I on the screen. I did put it up. Hang on, I'll try and um, do it again. The picture on the screen of that uh, BA business class seat, the actual, um, the, the the usual lap belt. Is, uh, is still there, but it's also got uh, like the the over shoulder, like over the shoulder bit, harness yeah. as well on there, which uh, obviously for added uh, safety. Hmm. But I just I do think that that seat does look just looks a lot classier, really nice. It, I think yeah, it does look yeah. really nice. Although to be fair, I, I just, just I just want to be clear that if I'm being offered a seat in both Virgin. You know, I'm not going to d decline oh, no, no, the, no, no, the no, generous no. seat of a, of a cuff. You know? And obviously, if anyone from BA is listening, um, obviously me and Nev are flying out to Dubai in right. November. And, and, and you'd like to road uh, test And it we'd for love them. to try, yeah, obviously we're flying right. out the A350-1000, right. we'd love to try the, the clubs. Would seats. you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and don't forget that Armando and Megan are in the US, and we'd also love to go from New York to London and try this out, maybe yes. sometime by the 300th show. There's right. dates to follow. Um, <laughs> moving on to the uh, the. Good luck with <laughs> the, that, children. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> moving on to the next story. This one is on the uh, eu e dot eu dot commercial appeal dot com website. That's a big one again. Right. And uh, the headline: FedEx still number one among cargo airlines, while UPS falls. Industry reports say. So FedEx. Uh, is still the king of cargo airlines, while rival UPS dropped a notch, according to the new reports from the International Air Transport Association. FedEx ranked first among airlines in tw uh, 2018 in scheduled freight ton kilometers flown, according to the IATA World Air Transport Statistics reports. UPS ranked fourth in this category behind Emirates and Qatar Airways after placing third the year before. Uh, freight ton kilometers, or FTK, flown is a measurement of cargo airline activity, factoring in both how much an airline is carrying and how far it carries those goods. One FTK represents one metric ton of goods moved one kilometer. FedEx has ranked first in FTK since at least 2014, per the IATA. Uh, the ranking factors in FTK for both international flights and domestic flights. In 2018, FedEx totaled roughly 17.5 billion 
uh, FTK up from 16.9 billion the year before. Nine billion of that came from domestic traffic, also amongst uh, first amongst airlines for international traffic. FedEx placed fourth with about 8.5 billion. Uh, UPS, which has a smaller air fleet than FedEx and is known for more ground delivery, saw 12.5 billion in 2018 compared to 11.9 billion in 2017. So the uh, two airlines that fly for Amazon um, Air, the e-commerce giant's cargo airline brand, landed in the top 25 for domestic. Atlas Air, 761 million, uh, placed fifth domestically, while ABX Air, 422 million, uh, ranked 12th, and uh, Atlas Air placed 16th overall in total. FTK at 4.6 billion. Now, obviously, with the, the huge prime day or double day yeah. that we've had, just had here in the UK, um, I'd imagine there has been a, probably a bit of a, an upturn in the amount of um, freight that's been flying yeah. around the skies in the last few days. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, was, um, I was actually coming past. Uh, we were two driver coming back um, from London uh, via going via Stansted down the M11, actually. And weirdly, um, it was... Um, UPS, um, what else did we see? Oh, um, TNT, DHL, DHL, all that sort of thing. Mm. And there was just literally a. I don't know whether it was just the 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 sheer coincidence, but for a brief moment, while because obviously we were on the flight path for um, for Stansted as you're coming down the eleven mm. and that, and I did literally see a near, it must have been a good ten um, cargo planes mm. taking off one after the other, one after the other, going going. Sort of all well, it drew my attention because it did a very extreme sort of bank round. But I suppose if you've got no passengers, no passengers on board, yeah, no, absolutely, no. you haven't got to worry about losing the people's people losing their lunch. Cargo, they, can, you know, air, you air, know. cargo, air freight is a big thing. You know, you only yeah. got to look on flight well, radar twenty four at realize, night. You don't though. You sort of mm. assume that, as I say, it was, whether it was just a freak time that that we happened to be going down the eleven, mm. but it was so, uh, you know, it, it it stood out that there were all these different liveries um, going out that that you. You know, weren't a, it's literally just cargo. You don't realize. I, I, I guess yeah, I didn't realize how big um, you know um, Stansted was for cargo. When here in the U.S. Um, in 2017, FedEx signed a contract with the U.S. Postal Service. So everything, not everything, but a lot of the the USPS stuff is going through FedEx. And then another question I had: I'm curious about these numbers because FedEx has a lot of feeders, um, they're, they're subcontract to FedEx, um, where there's caravans and shorts. Like when we flew to Puerto Rico a couple of weeks ago, there was a whole ramp full of FedEx aircraft and they were shorts 360s. Well, those don't belong to FedEx. They belong to, you know, Mountain Air Cargo or some other uh, cargo. I wonder if those numbers are also included in FedEx's total numbers to keep them at the top. Yeah, possibly. Could well be, yeah. Mm. I think they've still, they still got DC tens. I mind. I think haven't they? Or MD elevens. I think there are some MD elevens. Yeah, at, MD11s, at yeah. FedEx still. Mm. Um, lots of triple sevens, seven sixty sevens. Yeah, mm. I mean it's, it's inevitable given how much stuff that we're ordering online and stuff now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hardly, me this week. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. It's hardly a surprise really that uh, um. that there's so much coming in. 
So the next story, Matt, is uh, obviously on. This, well, we, we have to have a story from Flight Global yeah, absolutely. because just because of the font, the it's font. really easy to read. So um, it's a bit worrying Glo- story. <laughs> yeah, flightglobal.com. and uh, I mean they've done a very good job of keeping it all a bit under the radar. This haven't they? But mm. uh, uh, Airbus has introduced a temporary revision to the A321 Neo flight manuals, intended to prevent the possibility of the aircraft reaching excessive pitch altitudes. Attitudes. Uh, attitudes. Oh. So you said altitude. I did. Yes. Sorry. So bit like your expl- acrobatics. Ex- explain the difference. Sorry. <laughs> explain the difference because I pitch attitude. It it's a, it's the, the 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 rate or the angle of which the aircraft. Um, okay. And Armando, please in there. English so that I can understand. <laughs> so it, uh, attitude is which way the airplane's pointing. Mm. Altitude is how high it is. Oh, okay. Right there we are. I stand very <laughs> much more corrected. In that case, suddenly I do. Yes. Yeah, so it's if it's. So what's wrong with these Airbus aircraft? Uh, so the European Union Aviation uh, Safety Agency has disclosed that revision follows analysis of the re-engined types elevator and uh, is it aileron computer? Ailerons, yeah. Aileron computer. Uh, it has not elaborated on the situation beyond stating that excessive pitch could occur under certain conditions and during specific manoeuvres. The EASA cautions that this could result in reduced control of the aircraft. Airbus has issued temporary revisions to the aircraft's flight manual incorporating operational limitations. EASA has ordered operators of the A321neo to amend the flight manuals accordingly within 30 days. The order covers both the CFM International Leap 1A and the Pratt & Whitney PW1100G versions of the aircraft. Airbus has issued seven relevant temporary revisions to the flight manual on the 21st of June and 10th of July. Uh, the EASA says that the safety measure is an interim action and could be followed by further requirements. Hmm. So... Well, that's about as vague as they can get, isn't it? Excessive yeah. pitch during, during quotes, during specific maneuvers. So I think they've probably... Somebody I would stumbled. assume that in the wake of the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody stumbled upon something in the wake of the 737 yeah. issues and, and may have said, hey, we're going to take a preemptive yeah. um, correction so, on so, something. So this, this may literally be that then, it's just a preemptive strike if you like so maybe nobody has had an issue perhaps and but something was found during testing or whatever i mean as you say it's alarmingly vague <laughs> yeah when it goes to show you know the a321 neo it's a new aircraft yeah. with new technologies and larger engines and yeah. they're they're gonna have teething issues yeah, of course they are yeah absolutely as as are all aircraft it's, i suppose fortunately this one hasn't uh, sort of involved any incidents per yeah, se thankfully yeah mm. So, uh, Armando, uh, next story is, uh, well, just for a change, this week, Armando, the uh, next story is a Ryanair one for you. <laughs> I do have a Ryanair story from travelweekly.co.uk. So, Southend Airport, uh, sorry, is this London Southend Airport? London, Southend, London yes, yeah, London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I don't <laughs> like know why you're London, so shocked. Yeah, yeah. Hey, now look, <laughs> it's not big enough. <laughs> uh, so, Southend Airport saw a second quarter passenger number rise by 57% year on year, thanks to a new Ryanair and Loganair services. Uh, the total period from April to June was almost 610,000 passengers, said the Stobart Group owned airport. Uh, passenger numbers in April rose by 65 percent um, to almost 188,000. Uh, numbers in May, 58 percent, 204,000. June, 217,000, 50 percent rise. 
Uh, numbers traveling from inner London also increased, now represent 40% of all passengers, thanks to the new Ryanair flights, which started in April. The no-frills carrier has based three aircraft at the South End Airport to operate 14 new routes. Connections to London are also being improved by new early arrival and late departure times for greater Anglia train services. Uh, Glenn Jones, Stobart Aviation Chief Executive, said the addition of new early and late trains and has enhanced our reputation as one of the most accessible, convenient airports to get to. Compared to the other London airports, which are full to capacity, it is no surprise that Londoners are increasingly choosing to fly from London's South End. I mean, we I are also continuing. I suppose, in, 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 in defence yeah. of that statement, I mean, South End is is not fantastically close to um, London, but I suppose it is as close mm -hmm. to London as Stansted is. To be fair, have you have you flown from? Because it, it's just a South quick hack down the one. It's Armando. just a quick hack down the thirteen, isn't it? To to Stansted for, uh, to yeah. So I I actually went to. I went to London South End to look at a mall that I was thinking about buying when I was over there, and uh, it was way easier to get to uh, than any of the London airports except for Stansted. Stansted's mm. pretty convenient, you know, it's right on the main thoroughfare, mm. and you can get there yeah. by train or car fairly easy. But South End was almost enjoyable to drive to, um, and it was <laughs> wow. a small airport, so yeah. The, the, the great I thing, almost with, the great thing yeah. with South End Airport is the fact that you can park your car in the car park and walk to the terminal building within yeah. pff, two minutes, minutes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and it's the, the, you know, the whole check-in process is easy. Mm. I think with the increase in passenger numbers and, and the growth that they're, they're now obviously having at London South End, I just wonder whether they're going to have to start to think about expanding slightly with the buildings because it is um, because it is quite, quite small, small, isn't it? It's yeah. quite small, yeah. Uh, but it is nevertheless a success story. There's no two ways oh, about God, that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, that's that's yeah. the. The Hats off to them because they've done a really good yeah, job. Absolutely. Like yeah, absolutely. Who'd have so. thought a lorry company would be so good <laughs> at running an airport? Yeah. <laughs> there we are. Never mind. So uh, the next uh, video, or oh, next video, the next story. Yeah, uh, I read that bit in the yeah, show notes. Sorry. Don't worry. The next, yeah, the next story. That's a hint to Matt there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Subtle next uh, story. Emma, you are, right? uh, this, this one I actually found this one uh, late last night. This is quite a good video actually that comes with. This one is on the logisticsmiddleeast.com website. And uh, the headline... Uh, British Airways plane almost strikes Taurus in insanely low landing. So, the story goes, dramatic video has emerged at the moment a BA plane flew just metres above the heads of tourists in Greece. The BA Embraer E-190 aircraft was filmed at Skiathos Airport in Greece as it was approaching the runway to land. Skiathos Airport is dubbed by aviation enthusiasts as the European St. Martin due to its low landings. Hundreds of people gather to watch jumbo jets land just before uh, beyond a popular tourist beach on the island. People are warned not to get close to the runway with a sign saying, Danger! Please keep away from aircraft blast. Uh, footage of the BA aircraft landing shows people being pushed off a wall by the gust from the aircraft blast. Now, Matt's playing the video there for those of you watching on YouTube, and that does look... I think what's deceiving, I would think, I, I don't know, the camera angle possibly makes it look lower than it is, because, I mean, there are limits does to... Does it need to be that... Does the landing need to be that low? Uh, that, that, I think no, it, it would... that's exactly... That's exactly my point when I watched this video, was this is an Embraer jet, and 
he put it down right right at the end of uh, the end of the runway yeah. so right on the threshold and if you continue to watch the 11 the 11 minute video there's plenty of 737s that come in there and they're putting it down you know 500 or 1000 feet down the runway yeah and this pilot was while not unsafe i i think um put it down right at the edge of the runway in a much smaller airplane yeah. than he probably needed to I mean, there's this, there was this story that I, I seem to remember. I think I saw it on Twitter. I don't know if you guys might have seen it as well. Um, and it was, I think it was from one of the, I, f I can't remember the name of the guy now, so perhaps it's just as well I can't. But uh, they, they were talking about, uh, so I, th I think they were talking about like some of the Gibraltar, is it the Gibraltar or where is it where you go in? Uh, mm -hmm. And it's very famous, isn't it? Where I think you've been there where, where it's really low landings over a beach. Oh, um, uh, oh, Lanzarote's a. Uh, uh, oh, is it? Well, anyway, whichever, that, yeah. whichever one it is, and he was just sort of saying that it's like you know, do, the say that you know the the health and safety thing in you should surely be screaming at you as a pilot to say, I don't need to come in this low, I don't need to do this, I don't need to do that, because otherwise, if it was you know, if it was required that you needed to come in that low and that close to actual people and a beach, surely there would be restrictions and cordons in place because that's just so dangerous isn't it um yeah i don't know if there's rest i mean a normal three degree glide slope would bring you in a little bit higher than that if you were coming down so i just looked it up it's a 5341 foot runway at skathos um so did he need to put it on the number right at the threshold probably not uh, i think it was likely a visual landing that may have just been a little bit too low for for comfort. Yeah, Graham Haley in the chat room says uh, he'd argue that uh, at the point where you nearly, where you're nearly clipping road signs, you're probably bordering on probably dangerous. A bit low. Yes. I mean, the, the, the freeze frame on that uh, story, that the shot that shows. I mean, the the, the undercarriage of the uh, the aircraft. I mean. If those people standing on that wall would have jumped up, they could have probably have, um, you know, hung on and um, had a is it really trip that, down the runway. Is it really that close though? That's that's the that's the thing. It that, does look close. It does look yeah, so I close. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, so many of these stories. Was it? I think it was the Sun or someone like that was running a running a story like you know with uh, um, you know the, with the, the fighter jet going through the the valley or you know mm, claiming yeah. that people could reach out and top it. I mean, is it really? Or looking at that picture there, I mean, is it really? as low as for me it, well, for me for, I'd, I'd love it yeah <laughs> what i'm looking at is that the attitude of the aircraft yeah is how far up the nose is so he, yeah. he's in a flare already he or she they're they're in a flare already and they're they're at a quite a nose high attitude um approaching that berm and the turnaround because if you see at the left uh, at the very end of the runway, there's probably a 200-foot turnaround, and right, then yeah. the runway threshold. And so, um, yeah, I, I think if you watch the rest of the video and see where the other aircraft land, it'll give you a better comparison of, of right. how this okay. guy may have been a little bit lower than well, the uh, the link to the story will be in the show notes. So if you want to, there's watch a lot of love video. in the chat room, by the way, for London. Uh, every airport in the world is now London. London, 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 Norwich. London, yeah. Norwich. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've yeah. got London, 
London Biggin yeah, Hill. London yeah. Atlanta Airport. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> well, Megan and I have a very short flight tomorrow or Sunday from London, Charlotte to London, Chicago. Excellent, <laughs> lovely, excellent. Uh, yes, and I, I hope the, uh, the, the cash required to fly from between those two airports is appropriately low as a result. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's this week's uh, <laughs> yeah. show title for the yes. uh, yeah, yeah, London, yeah, yeah. any airport, London. Yeah, London. yeah absolutely. So the <laughs> next story is... Uh, is on the Flight Global website again because we love the Flight Global website yes, and uh, flightglobal.com. And uh, headline uh, is uh, good news for Brian Coleman, uh, fan of United Airlines, because uh, United to pick up batch of used. 737-700s. So United Airlines has agreed to purchase a batch of used 737-700s and intends to start taking delivery of the jets before the end of this year. The airline is to take 19 of the twin jets and expects deliveries to begin in December. United has not elaborated on the decision which it uh, disclosed in a brief note within its second quarter financial results, nor has it given a source of the jets. The US operator has 40 of the type in its fleet, according According to uh, Serum's fleet analyzer, and United is a user of the 737 Max as well, with 14 of the Max 9 variants. The airline uh, official fleet plan indicates that this will rise to 30 uh, Max jets by the end of the year, with another 28 due in 2020. But United points out that this does not take into account any delays, um, obviously following the suspension. Uh, it's uh, United say uh, they've generated a second quarter net income, or good news for uh, anyone who's got shares in United, $1.1 billion. And it's also said it's achieved the highest second quarter pre-tax income in its history, attributing this to the continued successful implementation of its business strategy. For those of you who can fly in business class. <laughs> and uh, Chief Executive Oscar Moon Munoz says the airline is now consistently delivering results for our customers as well as investors and that it is raising its full year earnings per share guidance. And uh, yeah, it's safe to say, I mean, the, the 700 series wasn't, I mean, it's, it, they sold quite a few of these Boeing, but um, I think out, out of all the uh, the models, the sort of next-gen models, I think, Armando, you'll agree, the 800 was probably the uh, most popular one for uh, for the airlines. <laughs> yeah, very much so. You're right there, Matt. I yeah. was laughing at the... Yeah, uh, just the the title of the story, the headline, because it says uh, used seven thirty seven seven hundreds. Well, there's a lot of used aircraft out there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the desert. I, I suppose American picked up a bunch of used U.S. Airways aircraft when it when it merged, and with all the Air Berlin aircraft that are now in uh, Virgin. So I don't think there's. I don't know that there's much of a story here other Sorry. than I, I, making I'm, up for. I, I'm busy laughing at Neil's comment in the chat room which is What's we're having like? a 50th anniversary of the first landing at london moon airport <laughs> that, that's that's amused me i'm afraid uh, uh, uh um, megan is actually being rather amused by uh this here uh, the rotating the rota fan. The rotating fan behind me, Carlos here. That seems to have caught her attention. Oh god, I love yeah, it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, right on yeah. to the next story. Oh, the yes. next story. Yeah. And uh, this is bad so news. Such disarray. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the, ne the next yeah, story. Next story is, my my favourite website actually. This is the BBC. Uh, bad he news for Nev. This one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Heathrow Airport, uh, based on BBC News. Uh, Heathrow uh, Airport baggage system fault delays BA passengers mm. um, mainly. I should stress because this was actually out of Terminal 5 wasn't it and uh, in fact actually I, I t how I saw it was because there was a tweet from Eddie Izzard uh, oh so yes he was obviously flying. that's how come I saw it yeah. I, f I follow him on Twitter uh, anyway thousands of B uh, British Airways passengers had to wait for several hours to check in at Heathrow Airport
airport due to a fault with the airline's baggage system. Oh, the no. issues began around about 8am British summer time with staff having to check in luggage using a slower manual procedure. Procedure Terminal 5 was the worst affected, although the fault also occurred at Terminal 3 and Gatwick Airport. British Airways said the system was now up and running and the backlog should be cleared soon. The airline said a small number of flights left without all customers' baggage loaded, with luggage being put on the next available flight. Um, other travellers complained that they had missed their flights as a result. Uh, passenger uh, Andy Gibbs flew to Bologna Airport in Italy uh, with his wife and children, but said that their luggage was missing. He told the BBC, I'm standing in a queue with all of the rest of the passengers and none of them have their bags, and we've all been told to fill in a lost luggage form. I mean, you get the, the gist here, as I say. It's no, this wouldn't have happened if I had those RFID tag things we chatted about a few weeks ago on the show. I think it still would have, yeah. I, 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 the, the only difference between that and there is you'd know it was still in the air. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. the only plus side, I suppose. <laughs> as, you, as you land in Berlin, yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll be able to yeah. see. Yeah, my bag's my still bag is still at home. Excellent. My bag's yeah. in Japan. <laughs> yeah, Yay! What a result. Yeah. No, I think it's probably, I don't know, it, it, it's one thing that I suppose would scare me if I was going on a... On a um, a relaxing holiday and I got there and my luggage wasn't there but then you know that's why we have insurance and that's why most airlines well, also, will get the bag to you given the holiday away. that you're referring to that you're having when you know when you get next go on your holiday where you intend to basically be do nothing. Fly, yeah. essentially do nothing as long as you've got you know your boxer shorts frankly exactly um, then you know what what more exactly. do you need I mean it's uh, you know it's as long as the sun lounger is okay and you've got hotel towels you'll be fine you're oh really and don't forget as well I mean yeah. I'll be carrying hand luggage which will be with me which will have you know the ability for me to play podcasts of course absolutely. which is which will be all ultimate. I need yeah, absolutely. and a sunbed I'd be more worried in your situation if you've been and got a, a certain brand of goodies um, <laughs> uh, that you bought at the location that you're at because yeah. Gemma has given you a shopping list I know. and if you come back and it gets lost on the way home then I wouldn't bother going home Oh yeah, I wouldn't bother. She'll she'll tell you to not go. Home. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch wood here. The, the door frame is wooden. There we go. The, yeah. the, for the you know the uh, yeah. suspicious or superstitious people in the okay. chat room, that I, I can honestly say in all my years of flying, and I've been I've done many years of flying around the world, I've never had this happen before. Oh, why would you say that when you're going to Dubai? What is oh. the matter with well, anyway, you? Anyway, I haven't. Anyway, Your camera is not arriving in Dubai. <laughs> That's going with me in hand luggage. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, last story, Armando. This is with you. <laughs> uh, this this one's taken me a little bit by surprise. I didn't know that there was a second run day or, or runway already in place at Gatwick. That's right. From the British Broadcasting Company. Uh, Corporation, Gatwick dear boy. Corporation. <laughs> Corporation, sorry. Yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Carry on, Armando. Carry on. I may be nitpicking a tad, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Gatwick Airport has revealed its plans to use its emergency runway for routine flights amid criticism from both MPs and campaigners. The airport said it would seek planning permission to widen the airstrip in order to bring, into, bring it into full passenger use by the mid-2020s. The West Sussex Airport said the move was in line with government policy. Communities against Gatwick noise emissions said it would lead to a second runway by stealth. Apparently not, since it's on the BBC. Uh, <laughs> Gatwick lost out to Heathrow Airport in a bid to obtain government approval to build an additional runway, amid a need for more airport capacity in the southeast of England. 
the master plan would see the emergency runway widened by 39 feet or 12 meters to comply with safety regulations and used for departures only. The airport said the measure aligned with the government's policy of making the best use of existing runways. It said the focus of the plan would be on using new technology to build capacity and resilience on the main runway. The plan also recommends safeguarding land for additional runway, for an additional runway should there be a need to build one. Uh, Chief Executive Stuart Wingate said the 12-week public consultation showed that there was a strong support for Gatwick and the local area's ambitions. However, MPs from Gatwick Co uh, Coordination Group said the airport has continually underinvested in the local amenities and social infrastructure that would be required to support a project of this size and scale. We cannot support the expansion of the airport without a comprehensive investment in the local area, which would ease pressure on the overstretched road and rail system servicing the airport. Uh, Peter Barkley, the Gatwick Area Conservation Campaign, said the news was devastating to communities and argued there were rapid changes to what was known about environmental impact of aviation. Mm. I have to say, I've flown from both Gatwick and Heathrow, and um, I don't know, I, I always, I seem to prefer flying from Gatwick. I hate going to Gatwick. Really? I absolutely I, I hate it as an airport. It just takes forever to get to. Yeah, Heathrow somehow, which is technically, yeah. I should stress, Heathrow is technically further, further away, away yeah. mileage-wise, but it ju it just doesn't seem to take as long to get to. And I think it is purely and simply because you're going right from where we yeah. are on the M25 and not left through Dartford Tunnel. And I think that's all it boils down to. I guess if you're the other, you know, if mm. if it weren't for for that, perhaps it wouldn't be so bad. I mean, I you know, I used to take. Uh, parents would quite often fly from Gatwick going on holiday um, and certainly if you go back sort of 20 years it really wasn't that bad a you know journey but now having done it in the coach a few times it is a horrendous airport to get to. So the the runways Armando at um, London Gatwick um, two runways 08 left 26 right 08 right 26 left so you've got uh, 26 right is uh, 8,415 feet long and 26 left is 10,879 feet long and uh, there is a note on the um, Gatwick website as such says that the even though they do have the two runways it says that the proximity to each other prevents simultaneous operations on both runways meaning only one can be used at a time oh. Yeah, that's that's right. The um, even on visual approaches, on instrument approaches, especially, it would be uh, too close. Um, and I think uh, we were talking, oh man, I think last year sometime to Adam about some of the runway separation criteria. Mm. But um, when we were talking about um, Heathrow, so yeah, the runways are, are way too close together. But using one runway for departures and another one for arrivals would significantly increase the capacity. Um, for uh, an, an operation, which is either a takeoff or a landing from that airport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, guys. But we'll be right back after these short messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head dot com.
The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from news buyers across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 2-3 Manchester with Air 6X Client Flight Level 210 Direct to Britain's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. London, two, TME, turn right onto Bravo, link, two, one, join, alpha, hold at Mora, speedbird, four, seven, two, LOC, slash, DME, approach runway, two, seven, left. Follow the green stand, five, four, four. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. So we came up with the idea of having a video course. Obviously ours are, are better because we've got the experience on the aircraft and we know what we need to be looking at. Something that myself and Andy started initially really to improve our own technical knowledge and put something out there. We saw that there was a gap and this wasn't a media that was being used for this purpose and our hunch was right because there was obviously a market for it. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed base Boeing 737-800 flight simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Welcome back. So next up on the show, we have got a very special guest joining us, uh, Colin Hitchens. He's uh, one of the uh, uh, the top guys at Biggin Hill who looks after all the ins and outs of the Festival of Flight. And uh, Colin, welcome on to the show. Thank you very much. So Colin, uh, tell us a bit about uh, what you uh, you do at Biggin Hill. Well, you elevated me to the top guy <laughs> up until uh, about two years ago. I was the only guy. So... Uh, yeah, I'm a t I was a team of one, now a team of two. Um, but this year's Festival of Flight is now the, was it the fifth in a row? So we started back again in 2014, um, having had a gap from 2011. Um, I'm sure many of you guys went to the old air show. Um, that was also run by me. So I took over running the air show from 2003 um, right to 
2010 when it was stopped, we came to the end of our license. And then we decided to bring it back as more of a community event. So our target is no longer to attract 38, 40,000 people a day as we used to. It's more like 10 or 15,000 um, and open the doors to our local community in our area. But of course, when you're attracting the likes of the Red Arrows, the audience comes from a little bit further. So what does it take, uh, Colin, to put the show together? I mean, when you talk about air shows, you obviously got the different uh, displays and acts and stuff that you have on display. You know, is there a lot of contact, you know, you know pre-contacts and stuff to go with the different display teams? Well, many people think, you know, we all have the ability to just go out there and cherry pick every display act, um, much like the React can. Unfortunately, that is no longer the case. Um, I remember presenting at the European Air Show Council in about 2007, uh, and I then showing that we used to have 11 or 12 display acts alone from the Royal Air Force. I mean, let's think back, you know, we had two versions of Tornado, Tornado we had Harrier, we had Sea Harrier from the Navy, uh, the Falcons, the Hercules, the Chinook, the, and so the, the list went on, and what have we got left now? So it is becoming a lot tougher for us to get a strong show that's going to appeal to everyone. Um, but we have got a reputation of putting on good shows, and I try still to follow the ethos of the founder of the air show, Squadron Leader Jock Maitland. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He died um, back in 2009. Um, but he always wanted to show every facet of aviation. Um, and I think we can almost achieve that every year. So are there any um, special acts this year that you've got uh, you know, at the show, which haven't been to Big and Hill previously. Well, um, I think the best one that we're seeing, although we've seen the types before, um, the Ultimate Fighters, Richard Grace is bringing down some beautiful aircraft and flying them as a four-ship, even if in our restricted airspace, is going to be a real, real treat. Um, but we're also delighted to see the uh, Royal Jordanian Falcons back. Um, that's the first time we've seen them for many years. Um, so, yeah, there's some good good things in there. We had hoped to bring uh, the ME109E out, but uh, we're really having trouble getting the, uh, the the DA for that aircraft sorted. Um, it is unique, and, you know, there's only two of those flying in the world, I think, as many of you probably know. And the last thing we want to do is uh, have a, a problem with it. But um, she'll be out on the showground anyway. I've got a question from the chat room for you, uh, Colin, from Jonathan Warner. He's uh, one of our, our photographers who's currently at Riat um, doing his, his thing there. He's got a question. He's asking, what did it take to get the Czech S, uh, CSAR demo with the hind and hip a few years ago? Um, that took... Uh, <laughs> let's start, start the story. So I got approached from the uh, Czech Air Force um, to bring over one of their... Second World War veterans who flew Spitfires with the, uh, the RAF um, to fly him in one of the two-seaters we have a big in. So we arranged that thinking that we were going to be sent over a veteran and a couple of helpers with him, bearing in mind he was, uh, I think he was 94 at the time. Um, to our surprise, we had a caster turned up, um, fully loaded, 42 on board, including the uh, Archbishop of uh, Prague. Um, oh, so it was quite a ceremony, but um, we quickly returned the visit and popped back out to Prague, had a meeting with the chief of the air staff, uh, and he agreed to send over the assets. So we were very, very lucky that year to get the Gripen and the helicopters, and uh, 
yeah, fingers crossed that can happen again. I, I just just one question that uh, I, I've uh, always worried about. Obviously, I'll just refer to it as the incident, for want of a better word. But obviously, off the back of that incident, that must have been must have changed the rules so much. Like, so the work that you guys have to do if you like to put on an air show must be so so different to how it was just a couple of years ago. It's becoming very difficult. I mean, it's difficult from a perspective of how the pilots are going to plan their routines at, at different fields. I mean, if you look at this year's Typhoon lineup, it's only displaying at three venues where it's taking off, and that's Riyadh, Yeovilton and Biggin. Yeah. There are very, very few land-based shows left now that uh, can put the full show on. Mm-hmm. Um, the seasides are, are easier for everyone. Um, I don't think it's quite as good a spectacle, personally. I think that, you know, especially if they've got a long pier in this tunnel stand on the end of it, you add another 450 metres off the back of that for the high speed pass, it's a, a distant show for many. Mm. But um, we're big in have for many years um, abided by almost the current rules. It's been our policy. So although we found it a little bit more difficult, um, and that was one of the reasons we didn't have Typhoon last year, because we had to reevaluate the airspace that we were using, um, and we found a way around it with uh, the current display pilot um, because we've got to be sure that we are abiding by the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we are an international airport. We've got a reputation to, to keep up, and the last thing we want to do is cut any corners on safety. Mm. Uh, Armando, you, you've got some questions. Yeah. Hey, Colin, thanks for being on the show um, I had Graham asked this question. He's one of our air, con- air traffic controllers um, in the chat room, and I had the same. So you, you get you're talking about these airspace restrictions. I can only imagine what uh, what kind of coordination does it take? You're you're fairly close to the London congested airspace. So what are some of those limitations and 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 restrictions? Well, we've we've got a, a ceiling of twenty four hundred feet. Now, bear in mind. Um, we're already 600 feet up. Uh, we're one of the highest points in London. So it doesn't leave a lot for display. So we, all of our shows, unless we get some special dispensation on the day, are flat shows. Now, the vast majority of the people attending Biggin Hill are the general public. Their families enjoying a good day out. And if you ask them the question, was that flat, a rolling or a full show, they wouldn't have a clue. So the main thing is we can still showcase the aircraft. Um, we also have a five-mile restricted airspace temporary around that uh, begin, and obviously, as I said, we are an international airport, so we've got full air traffic and radar coverage of that area, so we can just about fit it in. But I must admit, the last time we did the roll demo, which was about 2008, the E3D did bust Gatwick, and uh, some uh, Virgin Atlantic passengers came to a swift halt on the runway. Oh. <laughs> Well, and that kind of leads me to one of the uh, my follow-up questions is uh, I'm looking at the lineup of aircraft and you've got a I think you've done a, a fantastic job of representing every facet of aviation because you've got the Breitling jet team the Jordanian Falcons you've got the blades the Tiger 9 formation so with the Breitling jet team or, or any of the other uh, formation teams what are some of the challenges that 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 brings from uh, either a ramp space or logistical standpoint Ram space, we're not too bad. I mean, um, for those of you who've known the show for many years, it, it, it started life in late May or June. 
we've now had to move it into August because our airport, for those that are not aware of what Begin does on a day-to-day basis, is for private corporate travel. We have got no schedule flying out of Begin. Um, we have about 18,000 movements a year, um, but none of them are scheduled. So August is our quieter period. It's when uh, uh, the rich, famous, and uh, the ambassadors of big business all decide to go onto their yachts into the Mediterranean or the Caribbean. <laughs> so, oh, how and then I, I also saw that you've got three DC3s slash C47s on the schedule this year. Yeah, yeah, we've got the, the BBMF, um, the Battle of Bremen Memorial flight, bringing their DC3 down, so that will fly a solo slot. Uh, but then we've got two further coming from uh, UK um, who will do a, uh, a duo. Sounds good. I'm looking forward well, to that's that. great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then a long time. He's part of our nod to D-Day. Um, you know, it's important for us to have it. Um, then add the ultimate fighter team to that uh, scenario. And what I'm looking to try and do and get is get both in the air at the same time, the two DC-3s, and the P-47, the P-51, the Bouchon, and the Spitfire. Well, that'd be great. During the um, during the the show itself, uh, Colin, obviously, the, as you said, Big and Hill is, you know, predominantly it's all uh, private aircraft, you know, coming in and, um, and out of that airport. Do, does that stop for the air show, or, or is that still going on as the air show is going on? No, it stops. So uh, we will stop all uh, all movements for the show from 12.30 right through to 17.40. Um, I do get some uh, requests from the uh, commercial development team that, you know, there's a particularly important customer they've been wooing for years, wanting to come into London on that afternoon. Um, so we may have the odd private jet coming in, but it's not it's not regular. It's sort of fitting it in around everything else. Well, it? you could uh, you could always just <laughs> well, play it off moment, as part of the air show. Um, Jock Blessing, when he brought the show show to uh, to begin in 1963, was the first. Um, had one minute, or as Jock said, there's no need to put any gaps in between. As one's taking off, one's landed. But we have two to three minute gaps between display items. Um, we've got an added problem this year that we are resurfacing uh, one of our taxiways, which means we've got to backtrack quite a lot or bring them through a, uh, a taxiway that actually comes around the back of the crowd. So from their perspective, it's going to be good, um, but it's going to take us a little bit longer. But two or three minutes between items, um, and it's a solid show. We've got no gaps. That's good. Yeah, yeah actually, I mean, that must, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, and I, 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 I know we had a, we, you know, we, we, we all felt a little bit disappointed, didn't we? We, we did. With yeah. Farnborough's air yeah. show, and I th- and a lot of that was purely yeah. because there were very large gaps between the display. I mean, it wouldn't be so bad if, I suppose, it's one of those where it's like, so there's going to be two hours of flying, and it's going to take place between say twelve and two, mm. if that's what you're expecting. But as I say, it was, you know, yeah. and again, I, I guess a lot of that is restrictions based on 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 their location and the amount of um, restrictions there are in regards to flying and all that kind of. Thing. But uh, no, that sounds like a, a really winning formula, actually, to, to, to you know, to sort of have a packed schedule. So we've got a question. And that um, also, it's also good that we are sharing with Eastbourne. Um, you know, I know I've, I've already declared I'm not the biggest fan of uh, uh, seaside shows, but they've got a great place for attracting good crowds into an area mm. to ensure they have a good summer and sell lots of burgers. But um, what that also means is the typhoon doesn't take off once to display with us. It takes off twice because it's going to go to Eastbourne and we'll recover it again. So there's added value to the uh, to the runway um, sharing the show. Yeah. 
question uh, for you from the chat room again, Colin, from Neil Lamwarn. And uh, he says, uh, the question he's got is, there seems to be much less variety in display acts between shows these days. Is it getting harder to attract visitors, and how can shows address this? Well, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the incident that happened though, in, you know, back in 2015. Um, there was a big emphasis on, on the pilot, and there's, there's guys out there that said, well, I'm not prepared um, to take that risk with my, with my future. Mm. You know, the last thing you want, even if they, you, know, if you get out, you've, you've no longer got a future because you're being taken through the courts. So we, I think we're now in a much more stable place as far as regulation is concerned, and we're, we're seeing a return of it. But we've also still got the problems of the classic jets. Um, you know, that's why, again, you're seeing the classic jets on the seaside shows, but you're not going to be seeing them doing dynamic displays at land base. Um, it is getting tougher and it's not going to get easier. I mean, um, I mean do you think do you think there, there is a chance that um, once this is all settled down and perhaps that they've looked at, I mean, could could there be a chance where where we go back to to how things were a little bit? Or, or do you think that that ship has sailed now? That's not something that can happen. I think we can we can rethink how we do a display. I mean, let's let's look at let's look at the typhoon display. Um, what do the public want to see from that aircraft? They want to hear that enormous noise we get when the afterburners go oh, on. Yeah. They want to see that <laughs> yeah. fast pass. They want to see the gear down. They want to see top and bottom side. Yeah. But do they need to see them flying in a circle five miles away from you, mm. um, which is then restricting on where it can fly? So. Every airport has got space at either end of it. We need to use that and be a little bit clever on how we design our display pro uh, programs. Yeah, I mean, actually, that, that, that's interesting. You, you say you say that, Colin, because uh, Neil was saying again. How do you feel about the restriction on display lines after after the incident? Uh, displays are so far away, and uh, Neil also is a, a keen photographer. He's saying I find that uh, photography is hardly worth it, as you need like a monster lens lens to do it. So, as you say, perhaps um, you know, sort of changing it so that that there's you know doing the, the the flyovers and stuff is is a way of sort of keeping the photographers keen and 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 happy as well yeah well remember that the actual display lines on on a runway based air show have not changed hmm. um what we have had is some that were getting a lot closer than the 150 meter line of uh were pushed out and they're now asking for dispensation to come a little bit closer where they're slow speed if um, something like the typhoon on a high part, a high speed past, um, or a, sorry, uh, a B axis, so nose is pointing basically towards the crowd, has to be 450 before they've turned positively away from the crowd. Mm. Um, so, you know, we can still have a 250 high speed pass from a typhoon, uh, 250 meters away from the crowd line. So, those haven't changed as far as we're concerned. Yes, again, I'm not. I'm not trying to bash up the seasides. They are greater distances because if the tide goes out, the crews get the crowd potentially can go closer. So that does have greater distances between. But um, yeah, I have. I haven't really seen a difference uh, at big in, other than the fact that you know you do need to be uh, straight and level flying as you're going over the top of uh, the road at the end of our runway. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Richard Adams is in the ch uh, in the chat room as well. Colin is chatting about how Farnborough has uh, like static uh, stuff on display, but again, 
one of the things that we had noticed with farmers at the by the time the public days come a lot of the static aircraft have uh, disappeared um is there going to be any aircraft on static display at the festival of flight we are not particularly bringing aircraft in specifically for static because it gives us the added problem we've got to get them out of the field again whilst our inbounds on sunday evening are, are ready to arrive back with our rich and famous customers um <laughs> but we are trying to pull out a few more of the aircraft from the hangars at biggin that aren't very often seen i mean what we're quite lucky with is i've spoken to the owner of the heritage hangar and he wants to clean the floor so i've got everything out of the heritage hangar that's got wheels that we can push it on oh, so they're all coming out Oh, I, I can't wait. It's going to be. And actually, Carlos was just having a look at the, the lineup there. You've, you've got a great lineup for, yeah. for the actual festival itself. Do you want to just sort of walk us walk us through it, Colin, what we can look forward to? Cause I say I'm really looking forward to coming. coming. You're, you're testing my memory now without my display <laughs> um, But yeah, yeah, we've already talked Typhoon. The Brightling Jet's coming back. Um, from the Royal Air Force, we've also got the BBMF, which is Lane Curry Spit and the Dakota. Um, what else have I got from the Royal Air Force? Well, the Tucano. It's the last time we're going to see it this year. Um, so we welcome that back. Um, shame we can't have the Singleton Hawk anymore, but uh, fingers crossed in the future that may return. Um, but in the rest of the show this year, we've got two, uh, the Cat Pair, uh, father and son, um, which should be interesting. I've not seen them fly for quite a few years at Biggin. Um, I've said about the Ultimate Fighters, the four warbirds together. Um, the Heritage Hangar, I'm probably only going to put uh, Hurricane and Spitfire up oh, on, on this occasion. Um, but Dan Griffiths will probably close the show in the Kent Spitfire. That should be interesting. Yeah. hope he keeps all the rules. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he will. <laughs> we, got, uh, we have got the two uh, DC-3s. That will be nice. Unfortunately, I couldn't get the B-17 this year, which is so oh. unusual. But um, Ellie, who owns it, um, got invited back to her homeland, so she's off to Denmark on that particular oh. weekend. She didn't, say they, she didn't think they could afford it, but someone came up with the money. Yeah. Um, no. Or we won't see her with us. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see three DC-3s on a Lancaster on the floor. Definitely. You know, that's really good. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? I've got the blades back. Now, Mike Ling keeps coming up and he keeps arriving back at Biggin Hill in a different aircraft every year for the last <laughs> 10 years. Uh, um, then we've got, say, the Royal Jordanian Falcons, Come on, remind me, guys. What else have I got? Right, so I'll just go. I'll go through. I'll go through the list um, uh, on the uh, the website, uh, which we'll put in the links in the show notes yep. for this show. So you've got, uh, as you said, as Colin said, you've got the Blades Aerobatic Display Team. You've got the uh, Aero Superbatics Wing Walkers, the Breitling Jets Team, the RF yep. Typhoon, the uh, BBMF Dakota uh, Team Bronco, which I'm looking forward to seeing those guys. Uh, the Extra Duo, uh, the Ultimate Fighters P47D Thunderbolt. Uh, RAF Takano, which is also a good display as well. The uh, BBMF Lancaster, which oh, is Lancaster. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Ultimate Lancaster. Fighters. What kind P of posh what's it are you, Lancaster, mate? P51 <laughs> Mustang. Uh, the BBMF Spitfire. Uh, BBMF Hurricane, which I love seeing the Hurricane. Yeah. Uh, the Turbulent Team, we've got the Heritage Hangar Hurricane, the Royal Jordanian Falcons, which again, looking forward to seeing those. Uh, the DC-3 Dakotas, yeah. Uh, Heritage Hangar Spitfire, uh, and also another one which is also good to see is the Tiger 9 with uh, the biplanes, yeah. which is also great to see um, uh, those in formation. On uh, the subject of... 
no. the turbs on there as well. That's not on. I was actually going to say on the. Uh, that's, that's not on. No, that's not on the list here. Not on the website well, anyway. It is. Love to do the weekends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of fun, 150 meters away from the crowd, bursting balloons and, and doing limbo flying. So oh wow, that sounds fantastic. I was going to say, Colin, when you when you get you know when you put them together the show and you're and you're going over the list of who who you're going to have displaying and and who you're going to get in and you get the 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 yeses or the noes of who's going to um, come in and display when's the sort of cutoff point or or is there still you know a possibility of an extra display team you know coming in at the show at the, at the last minute i will never say never if it's the right thing so <laughs> you know we pulled a few out the bag that um we didn't know we were going to get until really the last minute um, I remember when we put the Red Arrows together with the Virgin Atlantic 747. That was a pretty much... Oh, I bet. Couple of, yeah, it was, it wasn't. That was an interesting. Uh, if you want the story on that one, we were in Belgium having a beer at a conference and the advert for Virgin Atlantic came on for their 25th anniversary. Um, so I immediately went to the Red Arrows who were there and said, uh, uh, Virgin have been in touch. Richard would like to fly with you this year. Wow, so they said. So then I spoke to Richard Branson and said, the Reds really would love to commemorate your 25th. Oh, wow. Luckily, both agreed. Um, and that's how that one came together. Um, but, yeah, if we got a big act that came in at the last minute, you know, we'll try and make room. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Armando, we, we need you over here. For the <laughs> US Air Force to participate. We thought we had an Osprey in. Uh, <gasps> they, they put everything out to say yes, and then suddenly said, sorry, guys, we've got another commitment. So that we lost that one. I, I, blame, um, I blame Armando completely. We, we, yeah. Armando is our <laughs> resident Osprey pilot, Colin. Right, well, I'm not talking to you anymore. Um, <laughs> right, um, yeah. We will always say yes to the right aircraft. Yeah. Oh, um, dear. Uh, one, of, one of the comments uh, we've had in the chat room, Matt, mm, from Neil, yeah. what, what was he saying? Uh, yeah, he was saying, he was just having a look, uh, and he had to say, he, he has to say that uh, uh, the £23.50 for an early bird ticket is an absolute bargain these days, Jonathan mm, Warner yeah, is agreeing agree. with him, and uh, Graham Haley is saying, especially with that fantastic lineup, which he, which is great. So if, they, if uh, these lovely people want to uh, come to your air show, how do they go about doing it, where do they get the tickets from, and how much are they? Uh, well, as you said, they're £23.50 for adults and kids go free. So if you bring a 15-year-old or younger along with you, oh, well. they enter free of charge. Um, the pricing of our show is about it being a community show. So any money that I make out of the show um, goes back into the local community to work, uh, try and inspiring young kids into the world of aviation. So that's, that's why we price it as we do. Um, the price will go up on the uh, 5th of August, um, but you can buy tickets from yourairport.co.uk, the new URL for this year. couldn't believe I got that one. I thought <laughs> that one was way gone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can get them through there or through our Facebook page, LBHA, which is initials for London Beginner Airport Community, so it's LBHA Community. Um, Facebook page, you can push the buy button on there as well. That's great. Colin, so as we've got you here, obviously uh, a bit of a background on yourself. You know how uh, obviously you, you you must love aviation, um, working where you do. Uh, <laughs> a love hate relationship. I love hate. Yeah. Say this, sorry, you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of, how do how do things start with you, Colin, in regards to uh, to the you know the aviation thing? Um, well, they probably started when I was a, a young army cadet um, quite a few years ago. I think 1972. I went to Big Hill. 
Um, and we were doing the radios because they used to do air races there. So there was these pylons around the airfields with these aircraft flying over the top of your head uh, and going round them, and we had to call if they flew inside it. Um, and that particular year got me inspired, but nothing inspired me more than when Raymond Baxter, I know people can remember Raymond from Tomorrow's World, himself a former Spitfire pilot, was commentating on the air show, and they found out they didn't have radio communications between the BBC and the Wessex Five that was going to drop the parachute team that day. <laughs> so we drew scores, and I managed to go on with the UHF set, um, only to find that the parachute team was the Embassy Cigarette Skydive team, <laughs> which was a bunch of young ladies that dived in bikinis. Oh. You can imagine this, uh, <laughs> this rather uh, enthusiastic 14-year-old watching these girls take off their flying suits to reveal their bikinis on board <laughs> was quite good fun. Right. So uh, <laughs> I had an interest in aviation thereafter. Right. <laughs> That's a, it's an unusual um, path, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I came back to beginning in earnest. I used to be with the Royal Marines Reserves. Um, we used to bring the troops up there to help out. Uh, then I resigned my commission in... Uh, 1989 and I got invited back to drive the pilots around so I had a minibus and uh, carried on from there really and then health and safety reared its ugly head and as I was in the fire brigade at the time they said you know about this stuff so I took over running that in about 97 and then uh, in 2003 the, the owner of it Jock Maitland called me into the office I thought he wanted me to paint the building again and he said no can you take over the show um, there's 30 grand in the bank and there's 50 grand's worth of bills. Good luck. Oh. <laughs> Always helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, we managed to turn it around. Um, the main thing was that the Royal Air Force was the most important thing. And I asked the question, why should the Royal Air Force go to any air show? What do they get out of it? Um, so I completely ripped up the plan for the showground and said, what do you want to bring? What yeah. do you want to promote for the military? Um, obviously, as I already said, I used to be in the military myself, so I had an interest. And I then bumped into a guy called Squadron Leader Andy Palsy, who was in the participation team, and came up with the idea of the role demo. Um, I, I take it you guys saw it uh, on three seasons it ran. Yeah. Um, for those that haven't, it involved uh, an E3D, um, two Hawks, uh, four uh, Tornadoes, an Apache, and a Chinook, I think that was it. And basically it was a firefighter to anymore. Um, and it really stole the show and it could go anywhere because they were frontline squadron pilots. Um, and the air show built and before we knew it, instead of losing money, um, it was getting 38 to 40,000 people a day. That's a crazy and, number, isn't it? That's such that's mm. such a good number, isn't it? So I'm go, I'm going to ask the guy. So we always have a question that we ask uh, pilots, but I'm going to alter this ever so slightly, uh, given uh, what what you're doing. Uh, if there was mm. any aircraft that you could have, either on display, static display, or ideally doing you know whatever display you want it wanted to do, is there is there one um, aircraft that you'd love to see on this on display doing doing a demo? I think there's many people who say I want an F-35 and whatever else, but what really, really uh, made me look up and, and grin was the first year in 92 when we saw the SU-27 appear, and it was the first public display in the UK. Um, and when you got up close and saw how 
bald the tyres was and the Bakelite switches inside the aircraft. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. Um, but I would welcome that back tomorrow. It was a stunning aircraft. And uh, when Anatoly was flying that, it was, uh, it was absolutely awesome. So I'd always make space for that. Fantastic. Now, Armando, you've just got one, uh, one last question for Colin before we uh, wrap up the interview. Yeah, uh, j uh, you know, this year I'm going to Oshkosh and I'm bringing my lovely bride with me. And one of the things that I was trying to figure out is what is she going to do while I gawk at airplanes? So as a community event, what aside from the airplanes and everything we described, what are some of the ground activities for families? Well, as we said, we are family-based, so there's the obvious fun fair there. There is many stalls there, and we try and bring in the craft fairs. Uh, so we, we look across the whole family. Um, but what we've really gone big on this year is vintage. It seems to be a growing thing in the UK. And um, as I said, we're bringing all of the heritage hangar stuff out, but we're also bringing the ladies uh, that are dancing with the guys, you know, the, the 1940s jitterbug stuff, stuff going on, singers and dancers. Um, it's hard to completely uh, put over a show that uh, is going to attract every young lady and will love it. Um, but you can always do meet the pilots. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. He, he's only just got married. He doesn't want to lose his wife. This is, this is not meant as a, as a yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're going to have to step up your acrobatics, uh, I'm afraid, acrobatics. Armando. That's it. Oh, acro you and your acrobatics, <laughs> Matt, every week. <laughs> every sorry. week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, never mind. Well, anyway. I'd love to come to Oshkosh and see what's going on there. It's a wonderful show. We're sending quite a few of our local air cadets out there this year. They always go out to help. Um, yeah, quite jealous of them. Yeah, looking forward to that. Well, listen, Colin, thank you so very much for uh, taking time out of your evening to chat to us. And uh, we hope, well, as I say, we're, we're going to be there. And we hope that for everybody involved, the show is a huge success. Thank you very much for joining us. Yep. And don't forget and um, that. If, uh, if any of you guys, now I will put a limit on this. Okay. Um, we've got the Bright Injecting coming in on Sunday, the 11th, about 6 p.m. Um, if a couple of you want to get in touch through, you, through yourselves, I'll host them out there on the ramp when they arrive. Oh, fantastic. There's an offer. <laughs> there is an offer. <laughs> so, we, uh, so we will be, me, Matt, and ho hopefully Matt, me, Matt, and Nev will be at the show on the 17th of August on the Saturday. So hopefully mm. uh, some of you guys and girls who are watching and listening to the show uh, will be able to uh, join us on the Saturday and, uh, yeah, and yeah. have a great day there. So, again, Colin, thank you ever so much for joining us on the show tonight. It's been great to speak to you. And, uh, well, we're looking forward to the show, and uh, possibly we might even uh, catch up with you there if you're there on Saturday. Actually, I've got nothing to do. I've got a great team. I just wander around. <laughs> ah, brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll see you then, then, Colin. Thanks okay, so much. Thanks, then. Take Bye care, guys. Colin. Take care. Thanks, Colin. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So there's a lot of chat in the chat room about um, um, various ways of doing the podcast, which yes. uh, me and Matt have agreed uh, that we're not going to try for, no, um, no, for, for uh, content but, reasons. But Armando, if you if you want to, I mean that's that's fine. But <laughs> maybe more interest <laughs> if you did it. Uh, to be fair, anyway, uh, yeah, we're no, not going to do that. We're yeah, not for no. the for the sake sake of taste and decency. That that is not going to happen. I don't want to put anyone off their food, frankly. No. But uh, there we but are. But we are uh, um, well, going to have... got to continue to uphold that adult rating on uh, oh, Patreon. Oh, that's that. a good yeah. point. Yeah, no, we don't, we we've don't, just we got it back. That. I don't, don't want to do that. He, he, the, the man makes a good point. He does. Yeah. 18 yeah. and all that. Yeah. And uh, so we have got a very special segment coming up for you next. And uh, to introduce that, we'll hand things over to Armando. Hey, guys. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Reno Air Races and my increased involvement in it over the last uh, four years or so 
Well, I wouldn't have been able to do that without George Catalano. George is a Reno Air Race pilot. He's got a long history with the Reno Air Races. He's got a fantastic story to tell about his aviation background. And really it was because of him that I was uh, able to get involved with the Reno Air Races. So what was supposed to be a 20 minute interview uh, turned into really a, a hour and 45 minute conversation between friends. Um, so it was really, really hard to sort of uh, edit it down to uh, a normal size segment. So what you're about to hear in this first segment is just an introduction to George and his flying background, how he got involved in flying. And he's managed to fly a lot of really, really cool aircraft. So here we go. If everybody was to ask me what, what is my favorite thing about flying, it's a little bit like golf. And I'm a terrible golfer. Um, but if you really want to be good at flying, you just have to practice it all the time. Yeah. And then even, even then, you still may not have a very good day, right? It's just like, wow, this, today's not my day. It's crazy, you know, and, and you know you know the stuff. And sometimes you just get into the airplane and you're just like, man, where, where am I? What am I doing right now? And, and uh, I don't know, I always feel like I'm forgetting something or not remembering something or, or about yeah. to really mess something up. <laughs> the, the last airplane, uh, Lancer 360, was a particularly unforgiving little airplane, as you know. And it just always punished you uh, when you were not on your game, which was one reason I really liked flying. And I flew it every week because it wasn't one of those kind of planes where you could die and fly for six months and you could get your bonanza yeah. motor away and squeak one on. This was not that airplane, right? I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, just kind of a and, – and I find that rewarding when you do a really good job when you fly it and, and it goes well because you're, you know, you're doing it properly that was a hard airplane to fly well you could fly it and you're the only guy ever i told you this more than once that actually got in it and flew it well right off the get-go your host but <laughs> <laughs> i it, you know what i learned from the 360 was um to be the the most conscious pilot i could be even in in level crews going across the country just to be conscious and aware of everything that that airplane was doing. Um, Cause it, it, it was so easy to get away from you that uh, now, th now I take that, you know, so just today, Megan and I went, went to the airport, we went to Lincolnton, the weather was great. So we're like, you know what, let's just take up a 172. So we just jumped into a 172. Uh, nobody had it. I, I know where the keys are. And, uh, but it was but it was cool because it, even something like that, I think it would be easy to just get in it and go. But then you remember, you know, hey, I, I, I was successful in the 360 because I was always conscious about what was going on. And, and if you take that from airplane to airplane, I think is probably my biggest takeaway. Well, the other thing that I find interesting about flying is that I learned how to fly when I was in college, right? Uh, get an engineering degree. I was going to be a pilot. That's all there was to it. Going to fly, going to get all my ratings, going to go land a job at United or whatever. Deregulation happened. You couldn't buy your way into a flying job. But I had my CFI, double I, multi I, ATP, and nowhere to go, right? But I had an aerobatic T34, and so I started teaching aerobatics and 
friend and I both had T-34s, so we started formation and did a formation air show and we just kind of got away from GA and went into the, uh, kind of the, got involved in a lot of military airplanes, uh, B-25, A-26, got to fly Mustang, um, B-17, that was cool. But when you are 22, um, unless you're really bright, which I'm not, but the things that we did when we were young, 40 years later, you fly and you fly with this, I just, I mean, of course, flying today is um, uh, way more complicated, um, way more sophisticated with, you know, the uh, avionics and whatnot, which makes that a good thing. Um, you know, I thought I knew a lot about flying. I really, I learned more in the last 10 years of flying than I did in the prior 30 because of experimental aviation. So when, when you started, so you got your, all your CFI, your ATP, all that, mm -hmm. you, you did that all just in one go. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, you know, it was weird. If I hadn't bought the T-34, I probably would have gone and got a flying job and paid you know, for nothing and I'd be a pilot today. <laughs> um, and my wife reminds me, but you are a pilot today. Yeah. You, the same guys that everybody else is talking to and you're just not flying, you know, a big aluminum tube in the sky, right? So, you know, flying to me is a way of life. It's not really a hobby. It's what you do. You're a pilot, you know? And if you, if you approach it that way, I've always said, and that it's not a hobby, it's, it's kind of a thought process. Um, there are some things with flying that translate into the business world that are perfect. I mean, I, I use the analogies all the time, you know, as a business, as a flying B-17 and it's a war zone, and you're taking flak, you know, which means you're running out of gas, which is cash flow. And you're, you know, you're taking on stores, which is, you know, jobs on the balance sheet, and, you know, okay, we just lost an engine, lost some employees. And okay, and now the fighters are coming out of the sky. The competition is coming to kick your ass. And it, you know, it's, they're perfect analogies. But, you know, I share them with my family, um, not usually so much with, work or cohorts but in my mind that's yeah. what's happening you know trying to get back across the channel and then, <laughs> and then, okay we're gonna make it <laughs> you know because and having a plan a and a plan b and what's the worst case scenario and planning for the disaster because they're yeah. gonna happen it's just you know if you don't plan for the disaster then yeah so yeah. with that with that t-34 what how did you get into the aerobatics and especially on the air show circuit did, did you have a mentor did you have a buddy yeah that's a really good question so of course the air show circuit then was just like reno then it's not like reno now where you you know you have to get an, adopted by the pope to be able to fly there um you just we had two t-34s we the faa you showed up it was like well we're we're an air show act. And like, okay. <laughs> you, have a, you have a waiver. What's a waiver? And you're like, well, you, okay, we're going to have to go fly with you and show us some rolls and loops at a thousand feet. And then we'll call you down to 500 and that's as low as we're going to let you go. No, it was fine. We didn't care. That was it back then. You know, not so now. So I got super, super, super lucky. And to this day, my motto has always been to give back. That's why I never took your hundred dollars because it was like, oh, you know, if, if, if this helps somebody buy another airplane and live their dreams, and that's the, that's what I said I would always do because I got super lucky. 
freshman year in college. I'm walking across the courtyard, and there's this girl walking at me, and she is right out of a magazine of, wow. I say, hey, we should go out. She goes, well, come on up to my dorm room and pick me up, and we'll get some food. I go up to her dorm room, and this ginormous three-foot by two-foot poster is a P-51 called Boomer. Um, beautiful, spectacular picture. And I went, quote, what is that? <laughs> I, didn't even know, I didn't even know what it was. I mean, how pathetic is that, right? And she looked at me and kind of like rolled her eyes and says, that's a P-51. My dad's in the Confederate Air Force. I looked at her and I said, there's no Confederate Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yes, there is. Down in Harlingen, Texas. That's where the Confederate Air Force was. Yeah. It had all the warbirds, right, back in the day. And if you paid into that, you could sponsor an airplane. You got to fly an airplane. Uh, we both went to ground school together. And we're friends to this day. And her brother is my best friend. And wow. he's the best man in both my weddings. And uh, he's my daughter's uh, uh, godfather. And uh, so that's where I bought my T-34. At, in the heyday in 1977, when I got my license, I met her brother right after I took my check ride. She came over and she said, hey, I hear you passed your check ride. Come on over to the Level and Air Show. My brother's flying in it, and I'll get you a ride in a T-34. And, of course, that was all mumbo-jumbo. I was like, I don't know what you just said, but okay, I'll do it. So I drove from one airport to the other, which is 20 miles away. And the Blue Angels were flying. And she said, hey, this is my friend George, Mike. Put him in the back and take him flying. And Mike looked at me and rolled his eyes like, all right. <laughs> you know, I don't want to take somebody flying. And uh, I got in the back of T-34, and I'd never pulled more than, you know, a G and a half, you know, accidentally. And I'd never flown formation, and I'm in the back seat, and there's a wingtip stuck in the canopy over here. And I'm like, I was like freaking out for 15 minutes of <laughs> loops and rolls and it was crazy. And that's how I got introduced to Mike and the rest of his family. And, you know, and his dad became like a second dad to me. And I ended up teaching her how to fly. Wow. She, she did the ground school and then she started flying and she still wasn't getting along with any of her instructors. And I got my, my license my, and then my IFR and commercial and CFI. And her dad was uh, watching us all along and said, why don't you get checked out in the T-34 and finish her in the T-34? Oh, my goodness. Drop the mic, right? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm 21. I'm going, what? <laughs> I said, okay. So, so here, was, here was the fatherly advice I got this, that kept me out of aviation. I sent off applications. And I got a job offer to fly bamboo bombers out of Chicago Midway flying canceled checks. And I was going to take the job. So I called. His name was Max. I called Max. And he raced out at Reno. And his records are still in there. And um, I said, hey, I want to skip my last semester of college. And I'm going to go build multi-time in a uh, Beach 18 out of Chicago Midway. <laughs> he goes, why don't you come over to the house? I said, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, left my apartment at the time. I was a senior. Drove over to their house and uh, 
he poured me a scotch and he said, there's no way in hell you're doing that. You're not doing that. I said, why not? He goes, you'd probably get killed. Number one, he said, number two, you're a semester from an engineering degree. Why would you want to go fly that crap? <laughs> I said, that's right. It's a passage. And he was like, put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, I'm not letting you take that job. And my dad, he was like, if that's what you want to do, go do it. You know, yeah. you know, and, but Max was like, no way in hell. And I didn't take the job. And I graduated and couldn't afford to go be a pilot. Um, and I moved to Casper, Wyoming. And that's where I met the Tired Iron Racing Team. and got to fly a Mustang, the B-25, the A-26. They had everything. Wow. I mean, and I just pulled up to the airport going, man, where am I? And they opened the hangar door and I went, oh, Corsair. You know, full-time pilots, mechanics. It was crazy times. Gas was 40 cents a gallon. And we flew yeah. every weekend. So that shaped my aviation considerably. And, uh, you know, then we built a, we restored a Harvard. It was an SNJ4. And I raced that in Reno in 84 and 85. So you took the plane down, down to Reno with, with the intent of racing it just well, by yourself? Or? So I had an, another dad. I had my real dad. I had Max Hoffman. And then I had Dick DeMars. Dick DeMars, Dick DeMars Arrow racing engines. And that is where I learned everything that I knew at the time about engines. Um, I got a job there. I was the chief flight instructor in college at the hangar right next to this engine shop. And so the girl in the engine shop was his daughter and we started dating. Her name was Tammy. And I taught Tammy how to fly and I taught Joe how to fly. And they had bought this T6 and they were going to restore it. And it was all in parts. I mean, like a lot of parts. And he was going to race it. Well, Joe and I were flying one day. I was in the T-34 and he was in the pits. And we were going up to South Dakota to see Mike, my best friend. To this day, we don't really know what happened. But one minute he's on my wing. And the next minute he's in the median. Plane's on fire. And he ended up dying of uh, burns. And... That's a whole nother story, but we don't really ever know what happened. Um, so we finished the T6 and I raced it for two years. And then uh, we had some unfortunate weather coming back from Reno. I did some stupid stuff, got stuck up at 18,000 feet above a layer and uh, a big layer, a layer that went all the way to the mountains the stuff you do when you're, this is what I'm saying, you know, you, you know, yeah. you're like, I wouldn't have even taken off today. Why would I even <laughs> fly towards it? What other, there's no winning, you know, he was in the back and we were at 18,000 and he'd run out of oxygen and there's no heater. And I mean, we're like almost froze to death and then we were going to die anyway. So it was just one of those, this is, this is an accident report waiting to happen. And the only saving grace we had was a 60 knot tailwind, which blew us over the mountains. And I, I went all the way out to Eastern Colorado came around backside and landed and got fuel. Um, and that landing was the most go-arounds I've ever done. Oh. I plane at one time. Seven go-arounds trying to put it on the runway. It was blowing so hard in a T6 you know, like in a skinny runway. And I was like, I can't get this thing to stay on the ground. Oh, wow. anyway, 
Um, so that's kind of how, uh, that's how I got to Reno. And after that, I was completely hooked. But the first trip to Reno was in 1979. Six of us piled into a 210 and we flew to Reno and we landed in Carson City and hitchhiked to Reno. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's like six stupid college kids, right? Hey, let's go to Reno. We have a hotel? Nah, we'll find one. How much money do we have amongst all of us? $200 total. So there we were in Reno in 1979. Max Hoffman was racing his Mustang and I was hooked. And uh, so I've been to Reno every year except for like three times. One of them was 9-11, so that doesn't count. And so I was always crewing for somebody and it's kind of like Oshkosh, you know, where you meet your friends and get to see all your good people and yeah, it's fun. I mean, that dude is the coolest man I have in ever more ways than to. one. Oh my goodness me! Wow, he is a he is an incredible individual inside and out. Um, George has pretty much taken us under, you know, under his wing, and and him and his wife Christina have been incredibly welcoming to us and to what I actually call the Lancer family. Um, that airplane he was talking about, the Lancer 360, was something that I was looking at buying. Um, I didn't know anything about it. It's an incredibly slippery airplane and, and a bit difficult to fly. And George took me up flying and I offered him $100. That's what he was talking about. And he, he uh, declined my $100 and said, just be safe with it. And we've been friends ever since. Um, and then he also got me into Reno. So George is an amazing individual and that's his introduction. And we will hear more from George uh, as far as his, uh, his racing in Reno and what it's like to fly there. And then how has Reno changed over the years since 1979? Oh, I can't wait. It's, it's going to be a great little series. Thanks, Armando. There's yeah, some great comments really in the good. chat room. Yeah. So uh, yeah, very much uh, yeah, enjoyed. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to start to wrap up the show for this week, but we have got one more news story uh, for those of you who are listening. And it is um, a news story that it was Lane, uh, Lane that sent this in, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, Lane sent this in, uh, and it was uh, this one's on, I've got this off the ocarlanews.com. Uh, and for those of you who have got a spare $10.5 million oh, nice. right. um, <laughs> kicking around kicking yeah. around in, in yeah. the glove box in your car or uh, <laughs> down the side of the sofa down yeah. the side of your yeah. sofas uh, so the uh, exclusive flying community Jumbo Lair uh, home to John Travolta is on the market for $10.5 million oh, so the uh, Jumbo Lair Aviation Estates located north of Ocala near Anthony is on the market and uh, the price includes one of the country's longest private lighted runways, which is 7,550 feet long, okay. incapable of accommodating aircraft as large as the 737 and also the 707 as well, because John Travolta uh, lives on yes. that estate as yeah. well. Uh, so if you're going to pay this money, obviously me and Matt have already put our deposits down. Well, of course, yes. Uh, you'll get uh, 550 acres of land, 
uh, a uh, um, 88,730 square feet of manufacturing facilities, oh. <laughs> uh, a 7,686 square foot mansion yep. with a pool once owned by Muriel Vanderbilt. Uh, I, I, um, no one cares. Yeah. Uh, one for Matt here for his singing. We'll, oh. You'll also get an 8,735 foot uh, banqueting hall with conference room oh, for 400 Absolutely. guests. Oh, myself and mother will put the catering exactly. facilities full use there. Yes. Um, oh, another good one here. Uh, you'll get 1,456 square foot fitness centre. Right, okay. I could, I could turn that into, like, what, a barbecue room maybe? Something like that. Okay, yeah. well, the best one, 1,000 uh, <laughs> square feet. Pole, pole house bar. I thought you could say pole dancing. Pole room. dancing bar. Anyway, you get the gist. A very expensive house is up uh, for grabs. But grass. also, not just not just <laughs> oh, the God actual you. asphalt runway. Yes. There's also uh, a three thousand six hundred and forty feet by one hundred feet lighted turf runway for those GA flyers out there. And not forgetting, there's also a pilot's lounge with staff quarters, twelve rental units, and seventeen developed estate lots. All with runway access. Lovely. Well, if you'd so, like to read all the details about that, I'll, I'll stick them in the show notes if you'd like to uh, maybe put an offer in on said property. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you'll find us on... With www. 10 and a half million. Yeah, with 10 and a half million. www.plaintalkinguk.com. Our email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, search for us on social media by looking for Plain Talking UK. And uh, don't forget, our T-shirts are available on the website. Take yourself to the Plain Talking UK website www.plaintalkinguk.com click on the shop and you can buy t-shirts from there too so we're going to say a big thanks to our guest Colin Hitchens uh, who we spoke to earlier on the show great to talk to him and don't forget um, me Matt and uh, hopefully Matt and Nev will be at the Big and Hill Air Show or Festival of Flight on the Saturday so hopefully if some of you guys and girls who are listening to the show are going to the Big and Hill Festival of Flight on yeah, the Saturday make sure you get in touch so we'll, we'll yeah, get in touch yeah, let yeah, us know you're going <coughs> and uh, or just tap us on the shoulder when we're there yeah you know. yeah do that uh, Armando been a great pleasure as always matey good to see you Thanks, guys. I uh, hope to dial in from Oshkosh on Friday, hopefully yeah. with uh, Pip at my side. Ooh. Yeah, it should be very exciting. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so hopefully a special show. There'll be no Nev next week, but there will be, uh, uh, well, hopefully us three. Certainly us yeah. two, anyway. So uh, big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room to this evening. A big thanks to everyone. And also, not forgetting as well, everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast. Thank you to you, one and all. So that's it from us here for episode number 278 of the show. It has been epic, and uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you all again next Friday. Yeah, so from me, Carlos, here in the studio, and Matt here in the studio, and Armando over in his studio. Everyone say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.